can you let go of you enough to create enough volume within to allow for everything to flourish? So because the space you create within is what you can create for living things around you. And all living things need is the space to be. Just let them be because learn to be and then let them be. You know, that's a simple campaign. We don't really have to do very much. You've tuned in to How It Looks From Here, Life in the Time of Climate Change. Here in the mashup of reality and uncertainty, life looks different to you than it does to me. The way race and gender, education and work and everyday circumstances combine in any person's experience, well, it's different. For every person, how it looks matters. So we offer these interviews as ways of giving us all new ideas and inspirations for making our way forward together. I'm Mary Claire, and today I'll be talking with artist, designer, and thought leader Asher Jay. Asher is just that, herself. She has been intensely and joyously drawn to conservation of the natural world and its creatures for as long as she can remember. In recent years, she's been recognized by National Geographic as a National Geographic Explorer and has engaged thoroughly in opportunities to clear the way for reweaving the connections of all beings on our planet. An accomplished artist, Asher is also dedicated to inspiring consumer consciousness in the form of accountability for the money each of us spends. The impact that has, negative and positive. Asher's questions are fundamental They are worthy of deep pondering by any of us listening. So I know it took some work, but that means it's going to be really fun. Yes, I can't wait. Let's get started. Okay, so Asher, thank you so much for joining me today on How It Looks From Here. You know, it just makes such a difference for people to be able to hear from other people how the world looks to them. And the focus of this podcast is really on how the world looks to you in this time that we're so affected by what we call climate change and we're seeing climate breakdown and experiencing climate challenges. What comes to mind when I say that right now? market shifts globally that we're seeing on a local level, people being displaced, people not having the access they'd gotten used to, uh, losing a sense of peace and tranquility because circumstances have become uncertain and loss of livelihoods, loss of living space, uh, displacement, refugee crisis, the list goes on. Yes. Uh, and literally, when it comes to climate change, what happens in one place has consequences in completely disconnected areas. It might seem physically disparate, but they are connected through climate. And I think a lot of people are unaware of climate change being a reality they can wrap their minds around, even if they can understand the data it's not tangible. Mm -hmm. It's not immediately evident because what happens in your backyard is not 
because of something that happened two seconds before it. It's because of things that have been cumulatively occurring globally uh-huh. that have resulted in an aggregate impact that you're now experiencing, which is not even within your timeline. It might have started in the Industrial Revolution and progressed since in a negative direction. And every degree of temperature rise that has been exponentially accelerated by our choices and our consumer decisions has resulted in this exacerbated outcome that we currently don't know how to wrap our minds around because it transcends cause and consequence that can be grasped easily. Well, and you know, it may transcend cause and consequence that can be grasped at all in the end. And so I want to ask you, clearly you've given some thought to this. Clearly, it's been a part of what you, uh, the lens that you have been crafting and shifting as you've moved through your life up to now. In fact, I read about you that your art, and I'm betting it's your life, has the profound purpose of inciting global action on behalf of conservation. You've also modified that by saying wildlife conservation. But these things that you're saying, when I ask how the world looks to you, tell me something you've seen, maybe as a National Geographic explorer or in your work as an artist. Tell me a few stories from early on that shifted you into really having. Why why do you care like this? I think as a child, some of us have to be nurtured into caring about the world around or caring about another human being or wildlife or anything for that matter, um, that, that interest needs to be cultivated versus those of us in whom it's inherent, it's intrinsic. And for me, it has always been an implicit part of how I've shown up. I've just always prolifically been connected to life at large and when parts of me outside of me are affected it affects me within and by that logic I would say things that when are at unrest or affected within find evidence in your immediate surroundings or in the world at large because you end up making poor decisions that affect and have cascade consequences so I think, you know, if we can see that sort of interdependency between how we are within is how the world is when when we show up in that manner, it's hard to shirk that agency and accountability to the larger context because you are responsible as a steward, as a stakeholder, as a person who's coexisting in this moment in time with everything that is sharing space and... and uh, Uh, expression of being in the same fabric of life as you. It's very hard to distance yourself from that when you can see it so starkly. Well, so tell me, tell me when you were, let's, let's go back to when you were small and one of your first memories of really getting it that you were connected. Um, I think, I think it happened really early on, you know, when I saw a, uh, my earliest memory of connecting to life outside of me, I think was in seeing uh, a a firefly. And, and that magic has always been with me. And the second time was through a book. I was seeing a deep water book um, and it was about creatures in the deep and pelagic wildlife. Uh, so octopuses that looked completely alien in their countenance. Suddenly being confronted by something that I was sharing living space with that I had never encountered in person, that I may never en- encounter in person because it's a deep sea octopus. You know, what are the odds of me going in a submarine? I mean, now exponentially uh, enhanced by being a National Geographic explorer. But back when I was a child, like, 
isn't the first thing that enters your mind that you're going to end up being an explorer at, at a later stage in your life. But I would say that it felt like a rather distant promise to the brave to be able to encounter something that looked so different from me and was still part of the frame of existence that I was occupying. Um, and I remember just putting, but as a child, you don't have all those frames of reference. You don't have all that knowledge. So all you're seeing is this thing that looks so different from you. And I remember putting my tiny baby hands on this black book, you know, it was a double page spread. And, and I realized like, wow, that's my imprint. And there's this creature that looks so different from me that's beneath me, you know, and, and I, and we were connecting. Yes, it was through a book, but it felt so vivid to connect to something that was so different and having your family explain to you that, yes, it too lives in the oceans. It lives in the world with you, you know, and it's, it's all part of the same blue marble. And I think that really opened up my eyes to seeing, and same thing with the firefly, you know, that it, it can just light up. I mean, as a kid, everything's just wonder and awe. You're just like, oh my God, how does it do that? And then you wonder why you can't just light up, you know, um, and you, you try many hours to light up and it is not possible. You're, a little bit of you dies with that. But, but I would say that, you know, in, in finding that level of um, connection and, and seeing parts of me outside of me wanting to internalize that or emulate that brought me closer to to life at large and and you feel incredibly alive when you truly connect with these creatures um, because they bring you to presence they bring you to the moment at hand without having to separate yourself from it so you're not apart from you're a part of and that shift in perspective makes you completely available to to be in this dance with existence so you have looked into the eyes of an elephant. Yes. And, and so talk about that. What, how did that come to be and how did that go? I think it's, yeah, it's the most life-changing experience. I mean, I would say that's, that's true of any animal, any being you've just taken a moment to really connect with, look into and be looked back at. So it's not just you witnessing its exis ex existence and expression of being. It's also that living thing acting as a conduit and a registry of you, you know, so it's taking your story into its expression just as much as you're assimilating its narrative. Well, what brought you to that situation? Many people who are listening won't know what a National Geographic Explorer is. So a National Geographic Explorer is someone who's pushing the boundaries along the lines of three silos. It would be along the lines of oceans, people, origin stories, and anything to do with wildlife conflict, wildlife trafficking. Um, that became their primary focus points because it's the most prevalent concerns that's going to define how humanity finds expression going forward. Um, the pilfering of biodiversity is occurring because of our consumer choices. And largely everything that's happening in the world is because of how we're opening our wallets, which is why I started building a tech company to hold those wallets accountable. Uh, every dollar spent is coming to shape the world that we all share. And we need to be held accountable to where those dollars are going and why they're going there. And for us to be able to witness that in real time, to hold each other accountable as a collective uh -huh. to each dollar that's moving through this economy that is shaping our global ecology. So I would say part of it is that I felt called to um, working with nature. And when you have a sense of calling, it comes from a deeper space. It's not a choice that you actively make. It's just something that imbues every part of your being with such deep conviction to show up for life at large and to rally for its expression. You become a voice for it. Um, not because it doesn't have a voice, but rather because you become the lightning rod through which it can you know, express itself. And 
and I think I've because I cared so much, I I became that lightning rod, and I could channel its energy and everything that it it stood for, which is the wonder and the magic that every child carries. You know, I think it would be a world deprived if a kid woke up tomorrow and couldn't experience a giraffe in person or an elephant in person, because nothing compares to that experience. Yeah. Um, no, no virtual reality is ever going to help you know what it's like to relate to a living being that is idiosyncratic and can change its mind and has a will of its own that has not been programmed. There's something to be said about the true spontaneity of presence and consciousness that is completely missing in anything technological that is produced uh, because as such, it does not have the capacity to self-reflect and it does not have the same uh, presence of soul that a living being has. So I would never equate AI with human consciousness or living consciousness. It's not the same. So, so the giraffe, yeah, the elephant, and, and and that for children who will only ever see those the way you saw those birds originally, yes, or those beings under the ocean originally, for children who will only see them perhaps in zoos if they're fortunate, but there's also the birds and 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 the insects, yes, and the spiders, right. yeah. and the ants, yeah. You know, I think it's about cultivating that early sensitivity, right? It doesn't really matter if it's a blade of grass or if it's a giraffe. If you're able to take a moment to truly connect without having to label it, without having to make it part of a human moment, without making it humanized in its expression, that it can only exist because you have called it grass. If you can get away from that need to assign a certain conduit through which it can find value to you and you can just appreciate it being... As, as, as you are being, then grass and you are the same. And there is no separation yeah. and there is no word for it. And there is no labels separating you from grass or from a giraffe or from anything else. So I think yeah. there, there's something to be said. And I, I spend a lot of time doing this. Um, people don't really understand when I get to this space, but I get completely exhausted with being me, by which I mean by being an identity. And there's something to be said about being unnamed, undone, unexpressed, unclaimed, just space, space that can hold space for anything and everything to just be connected without having to explain that connection to just be present without having to make an effort to be anything right to just be uh, without any purpose. There's no point to that. It's just being and it's breath. And I think there's something magical and extraordinary and expansive in that state, which is what many people can qualify as meditation can you let go of you enough to create enough volume within to allow for everything to flourish? So because the space you create within is what you can create for living things around you. And all living things need is the space to be. Just let them be because learn to be and then let them be. You know, that's a simple campaign. We don't really have to do very much. This is Mary Claire and How It Looks From Here. Stay with us. We'll be back after this brief break. Yes, and you know, the ancients have, from time immemorial, have pointed to this fact that there really is no distinction and that it's the spin in our heads that makes the distinction that there's there's really nothing and they invite us to investigate that 
And so in that that you just described, and you say, I lose listeners <laughs> when I'm talking like this because they can't quite follow. Well, uh, in, we just recently were able to write and publish this book together called Full Ecology, Repairing Our Relationship with the Natural World. And in some ways, it's really reawakening to that. And the very first step that we propose is to stop, just to stop. And in that stopping, you don't have to fuss with the identity. There you are. All the things that you just said are just there, and there's nothing that needs to be done. So that all by itself is precious beyond measure. And then, Asher, what I'm hearing from your life is that from that stopping, that there are these threads of your life that you pull together so that you speak from this passion for the wild, for wildlife and for the earth itself, for your connection with all of these kindred. And you tie it to responsibility for our pocketbooks and for how we use our money. That is something that I think many people would like to hear more about. I think you're asking for a quality of attention. Am I right? And intention. And intention. So attention and intention. Okay, tell us more about that. Thank you. I think when people wake up and make any decision, there is a level of mindfulness that can be brought to it which allows for you to make yourself available to how that particular choice point could have inflection points in the world around you that would come to affect other lives. Now, when you wake up, that is more feasible to you when it includes just you and perhaps your dog or you and your family. You know, you can say, hey, if I wake up and I am just absent, it's going to affect my, the quality of life that my child has that morning. Now, if you take that a step further, you would be able to extend that to your immediate neighbors. You could extend it to your neighborhood. You could extend it to the city, you know, take it to the state, take it to the nation, take it to the world. So it's just a matter of how far do you feel you can extend that, that sphere of influence, presence, mindfulness and awareness that you're able to extend to yourself on some days when you are willing to look from a space of objective witnessing as opposed to constantly filling that with your biases, opinions and thoughts um, because thoughts are just passing. You know, they're not an identity marker. It's not who you are. It's just something you're experiencing through the, the sieve of being. And so I think people get caught up these days. I think a lot of people get tied down by a thought they've had or a thought somebody else has had by an opinion they've expressed. And then you begin to judge and rate them based on solely an instance of the sum total of their being, as opposed to realizing it's just an instance, like give it space and then that too shall pass. And there's just no freedom and, and space, you know. I think those are the two things we're lacking most within us and therefore we're not able to extend that to anything. And in that depravity comes the need for everything, the scarcity-driven need and desire for acquisitiveness where you need to acquire in order to feel fulfilled when actually it's the opposite. You're fulfilled and then there is no need to acquire anything because you are everything and you should feel that sense of wholeness. 
I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm not part of the problem some days because some days I am participating very actively in a destructive capacity because I am choosing to buy things or acquire things that make me feel a certain way on a given day, you know, whether it's a nice dress or it's a plate that I saw that's beautifully designed and I need to acquire it. And then I get very quickly bored with it. So then you have to ask your question, which is why do I get bored with things the minute I acquire them, possess them, bring them home, and then I don't want to use them anymore? There are things I've bought that I've never touched, which is ridiculous because if you buy something, you would think you would want to use it. And the more I began to look at the underlying pattern of boredom, and I get bored a lot these days with myself, with things I've acquired, you have to ask yourself this need to go outside of you, to acquire something, to express interest, and then come back and then realize it's not enough, and then be bored again, right? So then where is the freedom lie? The freedom lies in neither wanting nor going to a state of not wanting. It's in the middle, it's where both can exist, but neither needs to be indulged, right? Which means you're just present. I think that's a very difficult practice to put into play on a daily basis to be continually present is the hardest thing, except it is the simplest thing because it's with you at all times. That's right. Right? When are you never here? Because this is the only place you can be, but the mind will take you to your past, to your future. You're all over the freaking map. And that's and, right. And it just is so cluttered. It gets yeah. so exhausting, you know, and I'm, I'm exhausted. Today, I am just exhausted with my own self and I remember coming back uh, coming home and I was just taking a pause and reflecting on the fact that why am I this exhausted by my own thoughts by my own mind because I've done this so many times you get to a point where you question why am I thinking this thought again aren't I bored with it haven't I thought it enough times to <laughs> yes. like let it go well maybe not <laughs> yeah and, and then, then then you question the attachment to those thoughts right? right like why do I need to think it again why do I need another swimsuit why do I you know so it's like when you start really looking at just you just start with being fascinated with your own self enough to understand that so much of you is just looking for that which is already within and if you let go of the notion of having to look outside of you for it and just realize being with you fully just being here in this moment with yourself can give you all of that it takes away 99% of the grievances that we're experiencing in our own lives, like all the anxieties, the traumas, the drama, all of it would just go away. It's just peace. Yes. But we make it so difficult for ourselves and then we make it difficult for everything else. And those things that we're making it difficult for, like a locust or a bird, is intrinsically happy just being bird. It doesn't need to do anything more. It doesn't want to be anything more. It's not aspiring to become an elephant at a later point in its life because it doesn't feel big enough with itself. That's right. You know, there's no like gradient curve on which it's comparing its narrative arc. It's just present yeah. as what it is. Yeah. That's it. There's a complete acceptance of being. And I don't know why we're so at odds with being, but it's also tethered very closely to the patriarchy and to a very dominant masculine culture that takes pride in action and not being receptive, not being intuitive. So all of the feminine traits are devalued, demeaned and cast aside. And all of the masculine traits of progression, taking action, going out there and doing more, taking more, extracting more and participating in this consumptive economy is considered valuable. So I think, you know, the, the disharmony emerges from the need to have to do as opposed to just be. So, so we have inherited this pretty significant mistake, and that is the mistaken notion. And it, it certainly, arguably, 
quite convincingly, comes through the patriarchy and the colonial impulse and all of those things which are tied together. But we all kind of made that decision together because some of us agreed to that even though we didn't qualify as patriarchs. Some against our will, but we can go into all of that. But the the decision was to see ourselves as separate from each other, as separate from the natural world. And so this that you were talking about earlier, um, I often wonder if we aren't with our language saying either one of two things, and that's all we're ever saying. We're either saying, I love you, or we're saying, I'm afraid of you. And so when you speak of this, this kind of loss or diminishment of the feminine impulse or the feminine way of being that no matter our identity uh, as, as non-binary or with, with one of the two customary genders uh, or anything beyond that, no matter that identity, we all have this impulse towards care and connection and this impulse towards agency. And so when we're out of balance, of course, that feels really bad. And so we feel really bad. But the the impulse toward love, I mean, if all of our acquisition were motivated by love, we would probably be less likely to need to acquire so much and to need to extract so much. What, What do you think about all of that next to climate restoration? We cannot address the source of a problem that has been given rise to by depravity and scarcity mentality. You cannot solve for that which you've created from that mind frame, from the same mind frame. You have to have a shift inherently in your consciousness on a fundamental level. And I mean, Einstein said this, you know, so it's not, not the first person to speculate the obvious. But I think when we try to approach the contacts we've given rise to from the same mind that gave rise to them, obviously there's never going to be a solution that's any better, which is applying band-aid patches over leaky vessels that we've given rise to that have been set afloat on an economy that itself is hemorrhaging. And so there isn't a solution until we decide that none of this is serving us, not even in terms of an economy or whether we're going to have a biosphere at the end of this. I mean, it's not serving us as consciousness, as conscious beings in this world that can reflect and self-reflect, be self-aware and be present. We're missing the point of being. And in doing so, we've we're losing everything around us. And it's almost like everything we're losing around us, which including the storms that are brewing because of the the compounding consequences of ignorant linear action that is not cyclical in nature at any point, results in these dominoes being triggered, right? And we're reaching these tipping points in the natural world because the natural world doesn't work that way. It's all cyclical. It repurposes itself. It doesn't waste resources. It's efficient. We are not efficient. And none of our systems by design are efficient. And we are trying to get there now. We have all these terms around biophilia, uh, bioengineering, where we're trying to imitate what nature does really well by trying to take fractions of that and make it our own. We can just exist instead. I mean, it's very hard to go back to that because the mind has taken us so far away from all of it. We've led astray so far that now to come back to the very beginning and find it 
um, from fresh pair of eyes from a new perspective, like you suggest in your podcast, is going to require such a tremendous shift in our consciousness. It's going to sh- it's going to have to mean letting go of everything that we consider important based on an identity. Do you think that that can ever get so heavy, so heavy, the mistakes so heavy? And I mean, we see the suicide rate among um, successful white businessmen skyrocketing because they get all this stuff and and there's no, like, why? What am I for? Who am I? And And so I... And that can be a daunting question to ask for someone who's been externalizing the sense of self to everything around and has yet to wake up to the sum total within, right? Um, it's a very daunting question to ask because I mean, and I weirdly asked it when I was really young and it's been the question I wake up to on every day. And so there are days where I just want to quit everything and just do nothing and stare at grass growing, right? Because what else is there to life anyway? Nothing. There really is nothing else. You know, it's just about being. We give all of these different ways of showing up value based on just mental patterns of thought and emotional attachment. So honestly, life is really quite simple. It really is as simple as watching grass grow. But we and being with the grass as it grows and you're growing too. And that's all there is. And you age and yes, you die. But that's just your form. It's not you know, the, the sense of consciousness that inhabits the form, um, because that's part of the blueprint of consciousness that is everywhere. So it's omnipresent, right? Because if you, do, if you don't wake up tomorrow morning and you don't assign value to any of this, if you don't wake up and look upon this world, does this world even exist? Right? So there's so much power and agency in just being present in bringing your consciousness to witness everything. And, and, and 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 in purely being that, you would not be a destructive presence because in understanding the value of being that connected implicitly without having to qualify and quantify it through metrics and data reports and statistics. And I would say all of this being a CEO who has to do all of the data analytics on a daily basis to prove the obvious, right? Because without the ROI, you're not considered doing a meaningful business. Um, but I would say that the larger question that needs to be asked is why are we subscribing to these models repeatedly? And I'm questioning that every day on myself because I've given rise to this business now. And I'm like, gosh, it, in being part of the paradigm that it's trying to challenge and upend, it is also a failure. <laughs> Honestly, that's what I think, you know, because you are perpetrating the problem in one hand while saying you're solving for it with the other hand. And it's the guns and butter trade-off that has existed since the dawn of duality. So when is that going to go away? So I have a thought that I'm curious what you'll, you'll think. This is um, my best understanding, not having been raised in the Hindu religion. So this is my best understanding um, from listening to a Punjabi man who was describing the difference between Maya and Leela in Hindu thinking. And so Maya is is kind of like samsara in Buddhism. It is just like the mess of being in a life, what you're describing, this this like you can see that 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 you really are one with everything and yet the seduction back into behaving in this agentic, out of balance way over and over. And so it just feels crazy in, in one's uh, awareness and it doesn't feel happy. Well Leela is 
really the same thing, but it's being the grass. It's being who you are and what you are first, and then looking after consumer sensibility becomes entertainment. It's something you do, one does, because one loves so much. You know, and so I, I'm, I'm curious also in what you describe at how seductive it is to think we're trapped in this socialization when really we're not. I can't say that I know the answer to that, but I'm compelled by it. I know. I'm, I, I think I'm, I'm presently figuring this out for myself because I go through these loops, these very big loops, right, where I completely want to stop everything and just start being for a while so I can come back to sanity and alignment and sense of peace and fulfillment within without getting to the point of that becoming uh, a, a new identity, right? right? Because that can there become the next form of addiction That's and right. seduction. So without forming attachment to that new state of being, right, which you think is now your release, which a lot of people fall into that whole narrative arc and then they become the woke people. And Right, <laughs> and it's the same thing. I don't want to be woke either. I just, our mind is so tricky. It repeats itself ad nauseum and doesn't get sick of itself, right? It's just this incredible entertainment that it can, it can, uh, orchestrate without. And yet, all the time, there is nothing that can take away the truth of who you are, that you are nature in nature. Well, that's where the awareness plays a huge part. Yeah. Absolutely. And so what I would say is, right now, what I'm realizing is that if I can work on letting go more, and that's my daily practice is just surrender, letting go more, surrendering that which I hold so tightly on each given day, whatever it could be. And each day it's different, right? Some days I wake up and I'm holding on tightly to the fact that this company cannot go on without this employee being a part of the narrative. Or, you know, this company cannot go on if I don't get capital from this particular venture capital firm. This company cannot go on if I don't get validated by the market. You can think all these thoughts. Every day you can wake up with a different thing to be obsessed about, seduced by. If I can let go of that constant pull outside of me, and just be present. Yeah. And at the same time, be receptive to what is needed of me, given these things are happening, not just because of me and for me and my entertainment or my presence or my evolution, but for every individual that my life intersects with, that I have responsibility toward. So then I think about the fact that all these people are showing up for my company, for my effort to take off the ground, to be realized. That's for a reason. That's a reason that's bigger than the reason I can think of. People confuse me into thinking that this is something I had to get proprietorship over. And I don't think that way inherently, you know. So there's a lot in business that is at odds with how I inherently am aligned because I believe in collaboration. I believe in open source. I believe in connecting. And in business, it can become, no, you need your IP. You need to protect your, you know, competitive moat. I love, I love all of this. And I'm aware that we only have just a few minutes left. <laughs> and I want to know, given all these beautiful thoughts that you've shared with our listeners today, do you have a few bits of advice is a little bit too matronly, I guess. but And patronizing. <laughs> and patronizing. Matronizing and patronizing, yes. <laughs> yeah. I know, I would say that, you know, 
if there's things that you're struggling with, if there's ever a point of uh, difficulty in anything you're experiencing in life, uh, most of that is coming from within. It's not coming from the world around. It's easy to blame circumstances for anything that is unfolding uh, within you, but really you're never that helpless because you're perpetrating that reality for yourself. Um, and, and that's where I think literally the title of your podcast and what you're trying to realize is that shift of perspective. Honestly, there have been moments on a given day. You could be having the worst day. And I have had some really terrible days when I've woken up, been splashed on by a car. It was raining, you know, literally everything that could go wrong, right? Your phone falls in a puddle. Like now it's no longer working. You just bought the phone yesterday. Everything that could be silly, that could go wrong, that makes you feel miserable as a human being on a given moment. If you just stop yourself, catch yourself in that instant, and you're like, really, is this what that is going to come to define how I can feel within? Or do I still have jurisdiction and agency to control that space and say, no, I will not be like curated by things that are outside of me. Rather, I will just bring joy, no matter what is unfolding, and then see how those same circumstances shift. I've had my entire day look different, even though nothing changed right just by a shift in my perception and attitude oh this is great well i just thank you so much for this time asher yes i'm really glad we've been able to connect yeah no right back at you this has been such a pleasurable conversation Learn more about Asher J. and her work, including her widely acclaimed artistry, at asherj.com. You can also check out Asher's work with business and consumer accountability at inkoperate.com. In your curiosity, or simply as the coming days unfold, take some time to consider the questions Asher raised in this conversation. There is such freedom available for all of us in restoring our truest nature, certainly it's a possibility worth checking out. During our conversation, I referred to ideas from the book Full Ecology, Repairing Our Relationship with the Natural World, authored by me and Gary Ferguson, and available in bookstores everywhere. And now, before we go, a quick pitch for our podcast. If you like what you're hearing on How It Looks From Here, make sure to subscribe. Let's get these perspectives out there. Tell your friends and family. Share a link right now with someone you know would enjoy learning how it looks from another viewpoint. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. How It Looks From Here is an educational collaboration between Full Ecology and the System Zoo. How It Looks From Here was created and produced by me, Mary Claire, and Joe LaVisca. Editing by Joe LaVisca. Music by Cedar Mathers Wynn and Gary Ferguson. Find us on Instagram at Full Ecology and at www.fullecology.com. Keep listening and be in touch.